funny. Sometimes when a pastor asks me, and the other men who do this may may have similar uh, uh, occurrences, he asks, and sometimes I already know exactly what my topic is, and sometimes um, the topic eludes me for for many days, and I start to worry. Uh, this is one of those situations where I knew what the topic was because several weeks ago, probably six weeks now, the pastor was in Isaiah 40, and when he read Isaiah 40, 31, which maybe I have up here, Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Such a great verse. It's a verse that we know. It's a verse that we sing. Um, and really, probably for the first time, um, a word stuck out to me that hadn't really manifested itself, I guess, before. And that word is wait. Because it says, but they who wait for the Lord, then everything that happens after that is for those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, and walking and not fainting. And sometimes as I now read that, I think, if I'm not doing those, if, I don't, if I'm not triumphing in the Lord, and through His grace being enabled, maybe that's because I'm not waiting. Maybe that's because I'm doing something in my own strength, not in His Spirit. Sometimes I'm just moving forward on my own. So everything that comes out of that um, really was something that I wanted, but I don't necessarily find waiting easy. I'm sure most of you find waiting to be easy. I find waiting to be not easy. I, uh, one of my um, downsides is I'm not the most patient person in the world um, once I decide I want something. But God is doing a work in us and when this came up, I thought, I need to study more about this word wait and what it means for the believers. You may not be projecting. Um, and then, I think it was last week, Pastor read this. Lamentations 3.25, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was talking to me and saying, okay, I gave you that word wait, Six weeks ago, what have you done with wait? I'm going to give you two again, and after the second time, think about it, integrate it, consider it, study it, apply it in your life, because I'm going to just keep giving you weights. I'm going to keep reminding you to wait on the Lord. And so one of the things that we find about this wait is, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. So in waiting, it's not necessarily that we're waiting and not doing anything. Waiting can be active, but at the same time, a little frustrating for human beings because most of us want to do it. We want to fix it. We want to get involved. And But he doesn't say, uh, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, who fix things on their own. It's just who seeks Him. And so sometimes if you're waiting on something, my encouragement is to consider if somebody comes up to you and says, why aren't you doing anything? You can say, I am. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. And so, if this wasn't enough from the Spirit, oh, these other two verses. So it starts with 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. That word hope is equally translated in the word wait. So, as I looked up hope, I thought, okay, I can hope in Him. And the first word it says is wait expectantly. It's like, okay, there's another wait. There's another 
uh, reason that I should be waiting. And then it said, next, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I'm waiting expectantly, and now in 26, I'm supposed to wait quietly. Okay, so I, I gave in to this idea of wait. And so when the pastor said, I'm going to be out of town, would you, would you do this? Then I had to say, well, of course, and I knew my topic. Now, as always, or typically, I have to say, that when I ha- get a topic that I want to, uh, to speak on, or just even to study, takes me to Psalms. My, uh, my lot in life is Psalms. And if you, if you don't love Psalms, you haven't spent enough time studying the Psalms. Because anything in your life that will go on with it is covered by the Psalms. And one of the great things about the Psalms, and one reason that I enjoy the Psalms so much, is you do get a sense within the psalmist writing the roller coaster life that they have. And as believers, we have roller coaster lives. We have ups and we have downs. And what we see from the psalmist is honest testimony. In this case, Psalm 130, honest testimony. And if you're using a Pew Bible, it's page 518. Psalm 130 teaches us about waiting. At first, in all honesty, I was going to do something topical. I always worry about that, that I'll pick and choose the topics that I want to. But if I find something that we can go expositionally line by line through it, I'm less likely to um, place my own thoughts there. So Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If you're looking in an ESV Bible in particular, what you're going to find is that these verses are pairs. So 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, 7 and 8. So that's one way to look at this, this, uh, this chapter, this psalm. Um, you also probably know that... It came up too soon. Okay, so... Um, you probably know that I tend to like chiasms. So a chiastic structure... It's where um, a writer is coming to, to come to a main point. He's stepping through concepts to bring him to the main point. And then after the main point, he steps back through those same concepts in reverse order. So one of the things that we find in a, in a chiastic structure, which um, really I think the vast majority of the Psalms are in a chiastic structure, and some of them have multiple chiasms within it, particularly the larger ones. We also find not just in the Old Testament, New Testament, we can find chiastic structures. And as an aside, I think this is one of the unexpected benefits of daily Bible reading. Have I talked to you about daily Bible reading, the importance of daily Bible reading? If you're new here and you don't have a, a daily Bible reading program, come and talk to me and I'll be happy to put you on our daily Bible reading program. Because what happens as you read through Scripture is you start to see relationships 
And as you start to read through Scripture, if, you, if you're paying attention, obviously you can read without paying a lot of attention. I, that, that's what I do uh, all too often. I have to back up and realize I wasn't really paying attention. Um, you can see these chiastic structures. And so in this uh, slide, one of the things that we see is this chiastic structure where uh, the center point, and that is one of the key reasons to find the chiastic structure, is that the key point says, and in his word I hope. So everything about the psalm is trying to get me to this point and then back from that point. And so it's, it's a helpful way to, to study scripture. Another thing besides seeing the verses and pairs and seeing the chiastic structure, what we also see here is, notice it says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. So what's different about the O Lord's? So the first, O Lord, Lord is in caps. Second, O Lord, the Lord is proper case. So what we see is the psalmist, and this is the thing about Old Testament Hebrew writers, particularly versus our culture. They were very careful about names. And particularly when addressing God, they would address him by his different names for specific purposes. So in this case, we see... Out of the depths I cry to you, we may say Yahweh or Jehovah. I'm coming to you in your personal name, and I'm pleading with you. Then he says, O Lord, hear my voice. He says, Adonai, Lord and Master, hear my voice. So he's coming in the, the sovereignty of Adonai. He's coming in the personal relationship that he has with God. So you can see how as you look through this uh, psalm, we go back and forth. In specific cases, he cries out to Jehovah. In three, if you, O Lord, O Jehovah, should mark iniquities, O Adonai, who could stand? So I'm covering my bases. I'm talking to God in his various relationships and authority that he has with me and crying out. And, and I, I love that about, that's another aspect of the psalm that I love. Because as we look at it, we find something special that they really kind of thought through this, we tend to be oftentimes uncautious, not necessarily flippant, but just not careful. You know, when we pray, you know, to know that we're praying to the Father, we're praying to the Father by the name of Jesus Christ because we only have a relationship with the Father uh, of mercy and grace because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we do it through the Holy Spirit because He dwells within us. And so, you know, we don't, we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father through the finished work of the Son by the Spirit that is within us. And so um, it's helpful to, to think about how we refer to God and how that works. So this key point, and in His Word, I hope, is something, there's something else special about a chiastic structure. And that is that what you will find, particularly in the Psalms, is that the psalmist is working himself up to that key point where he is speaking just truth to his soul, and then he moves back from that key point, transformed by the truth that was spoken to his soul. So oftentimes what we see is pleading, pleading, worry, frustration, what am I ever going to do? Truth. And then glorify God, glorify God, glorify God, trust in Him, right? 
And so it's a it's also a good instruction for us because when we're worried and stressed, you know, do you ever get that way? Everything's falling apart. Speak truth to yourself. Think about what the key point is. Speak it and then consider how God is working your life and the purpose that God has for us. So Psalms are a good example of the reality of the Christian life written many thousands of years ago, but they speak to us and oftentimes I can come alongside one of these psalmists and say, Amen, brother, I am right here with you. And so thinking about this and thinking about how we apply this concept of waiting, um, I thought we would just look at Psalm 130 and very simply really go kind of line by line and look at it and see what we can learn from it. So verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh, Jehovah. Notice he jumps right into his plight, his situation. He didn't even take time to say, I'm in depths because of this. He's just, here I am, I'm in depths, I'm crying to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that the psalmists teach us to not wait, to go to the Lord. That's the one time you don't wait. You, you wait on the Lord, but you don't wait. You don't pause. You don't um, hold out going to the Lord, seeking mercy and grace when you're in the depths of whatever travail, whatever problem you're in. You go to Him directly. You go to Him and cry out to Him and then think through this. Um, can we move back to the... Okay. Um, so we, we go through it and we just cry out to him immediately. And then he knows what our problem is, right? We just cry out to him and we turn to him. We acknowledge him as sovereign God. We acknowledge him as our relationship with him and all that he's done for us. We acknowledge that he is holy and there's something about us that we have failed. We have sinned against him and we are not. And so we turn to him and we just complain. I think sometimes as believers, we don't want to complain to God. The Psalms are great because as you read through them, lots of complaining. Lots of complaining saying, you have forgotten me. I'm here all on my own. I'm trying to fix these things because you've left me. But acknowledge Him as Lord. Don't wait until you feel better about your sin. You know, it's sometimes easy as a believer to say, I have sinned. I acknowledge that. I'll wait a few days till I feel better about it. I feel, I feel less bad about myself, and then I'll go to God. Go to God right then. Stop everything that you're doing and go to God right then. And I, I love that about this. Out of the depths, I cry to you. I turn to you because you are the only answer, Yahweh. And then verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's crying out to Adonai. He's crying out to the Lord, the sovereign Lord. He's looking for relief for his soul and he's asking the Lord to be attentive. Now, we may say, I know the Lord's always attentive. I know that in my heart. But yeah, but I think I see this and it's crying out for him to be attentive, to stop and look on me, listen to me, listen to my pleas. I think it's, it's helpful for us to acknowledge that he really is listening and not just think that he's listening here. And so he goes to Adonai, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive. Sovereign Lord, would you please be attentive? I've got pleas for mercy. I'm crying out to you. Please listen to me. That also helps us 
realize that I'm formulating a, a plea to the Lord, specifically, I'm not about to just sort of wander around. I'm not about to uh, make light of my sin. I'm asking him to listen to me, and I'm going to speak very clearly, as, I, as far as I can, and very directly to him. In verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? What amazing verse. If you, Yahweh, Jehovah, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Adonai. Um, interesting thing about this verse is that word in the middle, the two words, I guess, really, mark and iniquities. One of the things that we, I learned from reading and studying Psalms is that the psalmists don't make light of their sin. He's not saying, you know, yes, I sinned. That's a little white lie I told, whatever. He is saying that my iniquity is so deep that it is, it is my heart's desire to sin. I see that. It, it's something that is influencing me that has such power over me he says, I have iniquities. And so we can assume that verse 1, when he says, out of the depths, we tie it to verse 3, of my iniquities, of the realization that I have a corrupt heart. I'm crying out to you. The word in front of that, Mark, is really a word that means to write down permanently. And so he's really saying, oh, Yahweh, if you would write my iniquities down permanently, how would I survive? I could never stand before you. I could never, I could never be justified before you because that list is written down firmly, and you're going to be going through the tally, looking at all my sins. So it's a, it's an amazing word that the psalmist chooses to mean that there, there must be something different here, right? If you, O Lord, should mark permanently write down my iniquities, who could stand? Okay, so there must be something. And one of the things I also like about the psalmist is here they were far before the cross. But oftentimes what you find, just like in Job, for example, they're thinking through this process and really thinking through this process of, is it just the blood of bulls and goats that covers my sin or is there something more about it? Is there something more in um, a payment for my sin? Because the blood of bulls and goats isn't sufficient. The grief of his sin, he refers to as iniquities. I appreciate that. I think we need to learn to be honest with God. Obviously, God knows our sins. He knows our transgressions. So we might as well be honest with him and even say, I see my desires. My desires are unworthy of you and the calling that you have called me to. Therefore, I come and I plead for mercy. It's not that I can fix myself, but I need you to fix me. I need my, and really, I need my love for my Savior to grow so that I don't want to sin. So I sin less because I desire to be more like Jesus. Then we see in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Another interesting point, you know, so many people who really are non-believers, might say, you know, if you believe in this merciful, all-loving God, forgiving God, then doesn't that result in increased sin? So we see that question in Romans, right? And here he says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
So it's people who have been forgiven, who know their vast transgressions, who know the iniquity of their hearts, who have been forgiven, who know that the blood of Christ has completely covered their sin and they're robed in his righteousness and not in the filthy garments of their own, who fear God. So therefore, you can't fear God unless you know that you are a sinner saved by grace. You cannot reverence and worship a holy God without the precursor of forgiveness of sin. So if you come today to worship God, but you yourself find your own self holy and acceptable to God through your own finished work, one, you're not a believer, and two, you're not worshiping God. So therefore, everybody here should have been in these depths of despair over their sin many times before and struggled with that and sought the Lord's mercy and grace because it's those people who worship, fear, and reverence our God. The ground of hope that we have, all that we have here, is God's mercy because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have no hope in standing before God. Now, where it says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, the word forgiveness in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, renders that propitiation. But with you there is a propitiation. There is a payment to allow you to forgive me that you may be feared. And so, one of the things that it's, I've had to struggle with over the years is just realizing that when I'm overcome by my sin, it is a grace of God. I think oftentimes we tend to shy away. But we must come to bear that this is who we are, that we have this heart, this fleshly, this, this hardened heart that desires sinful things. Wants whatever the case may be, to prop us up and be prideful and that sort of thing. And so, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be forgiven. So this realization that there is a combination there. And don't be shy to acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior and a need for redemption. Because it's by the more you see your own situation, the more you will value what God has done, the fact that he gave his own son for us. And he's paid a very high price, as we say, because of our sin. Verse 5. See, moving on. This may, may not take long at all. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. So in verse 5, okay, we're finally getting to a wait. right? So you may be thinking, okay, why did he choose Psalm 130? I wait for the Lord. Now this word wait, and this is how I got to Psalm 130. This word wait is the same wait from Isaiah 40.31 and it's the same wait from Lamentations 3.25. So this is the third time I've sort of been hit um, with this idea of waiting and why I finally sort of gave in to this concept of thinking about waiting. This word wait, interesting. You know, the thing about Hebrew words oftentimes is trying to find out what the original meaning was and how over thousands of years it came to mean this. So it means waiting with endurance under tension. But 
what it originally meant was twisting like rope together. Sitting there under tension, taking ropes and twisting them more and more together. So you can see the relationship of the tension and the stress and what you may be going through as you wait with endurance. It's hard to wait quietly. It's hard to wait when you're under stress. There's a reason for that. So this idea of waiting with endurance and this idea of a rope to me is a great picture. Because what happens if you take a couple of ropes and you start to twist them together? And you leave them together for a period of time and then you separate them. What happens is you take straight rope, you twist it together under great tension, and then you untwist it, and what happens? It's still sort of twisted around. It's still in a helix form, right? It's still kind of like this, and this one's kind of like this. So the idea of waiting with endurance really gives a great picture. And that is, the longer that you are in tension and endurance and waiting on the Lord and praying to the Lord for an answer to prayer, the more you become like Christ. The more your attention, the more you're wrapped up with Him, the more you're going back and forth, back and forth, over and over and over, seeking the Lord's deliverance from whatever your issue is, the more you're shaped in His image because you're being wrapped around Him. You're running to the Lord. And when the, the prayer is answered, if you were to unwrap yourself, you would still have that look. And I'm determined that what Christ wants in our life is to look like Him and to be more twisted, to be more knotted up, because every time we go through waiting and endurance and going to Him over and over, crying out to Him, the more we look like Him, the more we are twisted, the more we are in this Christ-like look and Holy Spirit. So the question is, are you willing to wait? Has Christ put you through times where you just keep waiting and keep looking to Him because He is molding you to the image of Jesus, of Himself. And if we pray to get me out of this situation, we may be praying, I don't want to look so much like Jesus. I want to look more like me. But me doesn't get me into heaven. Jesus that gets me into heaven. And so as I was looking at Isaiah 43, those who wait on the Lord, as I was looking at Lamentations, wait on the Lord, seek, all those three words, the one here and those two words, were all about this idea of tension, of molding, of stress, and of struggle. And I realized that far too often, I just pray, Lord, to get me out of this. I should be praying, Lord, make me more like you. Take me through whatever it is that you're doing through this tension and stress, and I will endure it because I know on the other side I look more like Jesus Christ. And he says, I wait enduringly under great tension and stress for the Lord. My soul waits. In this case, the word soul meaning desires, passions, appetites. So he's not just saying, I wait for the Lord. But everything about me has gotten to the point that I am waiting for your deliverance in whatever situation it is. 
In this case, he was agonizing over his iniquity. And he needed both forgiveness, but he also needed a heart more like his Redeemer. And so I love how the psalmists tend to repeat things. So I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Key point, right? In his word I hope. Everything is getting me to that point of hoping in his word. Word in this case um, meaning promises, things spoken, commitments, things that God has said about himself. So I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's who begun a good work in you, etc. So all of these things that we know, he's resting himself on God's promises. Now, of course, you've already seen this in Lamentations 3.24. Same word, hope, is also equally, just as often, translated wait. So I wait for Jehovah. My soul waits. And in his word, I wait. Lots of weight. So you can get a sense from the psalmist what a struggle this is. He's waiting over a long period of time to the point that everything within his being, every fiber of his being and his soul is now saying, I am going to wait. I'm not going to try to fix anything. I'm not going to try to make light of my sin. I'm going to wait for the Lord's deliverance. In whatever case that might be. I wait. So in this chiastic structure, I sort of feel like if it didn't make it, I would sort of miss that key point. And in his word, I wait, I hope. And I think we can apply that to everything about our lives. We wait on his word. We wait on his promises. We wait on his deliverance. And I pray that everything about our soul is waiting. So verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. You know, every one of these verses, I want to say, what a great verse. Um, but then, you know, every time I, I read a psalm, the more you study it, the more you, you see this, uh, uh, this beauty of how they describe things. Um, my soul waits for the Lord. So notice, just said, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I wait. My soul waits for the Lord, so he's repeating himself, which is very common in Hebrew literature, to repeat yourself to emphasize it, more than watchman for the morning. So now he's saying, my soul, I am waiting on the Lord and his promises more than those men who are expected to watch on the wall looking for enemies coming, potentially in the darkness, right? More than watchman for the morning. And then he repeats himself, more than watchman for the morning. So this man who is being transformed by this key point where he says, and in his word I hope and wait, he is now shouting, my soul is waiting for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning, more than the diligence that's required of the watchman to be peering out into the darkness, looking at any slight movement to know that there is an enemy nearby. And you can sort of think, if you're a watchman, when the sun rose, okay, nothing bad happened on my watch. You know, because obviously there would be a lot of things, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, there's an army just, you know, on the horizon that they've missed. But, you know, this joy, such joy once uh, the, the sun rises, such joy once you've gone through this agony, waiting on the Lord, hoping on the Lord, quietly waiting on the Lord, and you see his deliverance. 
Something else about my soul waits the Lord more than watchmen for the morning is that those watchmen are being diligent, they're being careful, they should be observant, which is exactly what he's saying, that he's, he's doing right. But just like a watchman, he's being observant to look for enemies. I don't know about you, but if I'm waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, it is a strong possibility that there's an enemy inside my head that will start to speak lies. He's looking for those. He's anticipating those. So just as the watchmen are looking for enemies, he is cautiously looking for any enemy to speak lies to him, to tell him to turn from God and turn to himself to fix his problem. And I think we need to be looking like watchmen for the morning in the same way. We need to be observant, always looking. We had in our in our Pilgrim's Progress class, um, we were talking about valiant for truth. And you see this bloody man with this sword, and one of the things that Ernie was helpful to point out is that he was doing battle with three men, but those three men were himself. It was, he, it was sin within him that he was having to battle. And I think that that's one of the struggles that we're going to have if we are truly waiting on the Lord that we cannot allow the enemy to speak lies to us. We must continue to speak the truth. We must continue to wait on the Lord. So we wait. We look intently. We spy out enemies. We speak truth back to ourselves. And so in the same way, we our soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Then in verse 7, O Israel, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. So, what's changed? There's something different, right? If we look at this whole um, eight verses within this psalm, suddenly he's speaking out. So he's speaking to God, he's talking about himself and his struggles that he has, and then he says, O Israel, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. So He has turned. He has done what I think we oftentimes see within the Psalms. You get to a key point, and something begins to change. So, and in His Word, I hope, now He's yelling out, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Yes, more than even watchmen for the morning. And then He turns to Israel and says, Oh, Israel! See what God has done in my life. See what a loving and gracious God we have. Hope in the Lord. Once again, wait expectantly, hopefully, for the Lord. And with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. There is nothing like a forgiven sinner who's perfectly aware of his position and the redemption that has been uh, graced upon him to speak truth, to testify of God's amazing grace. And that's exactly what's happening here, is this man saying, this is where I am. This is what I've seen. Look at what God's done for me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He says, for the Lord, there is steadfast love. He has seen this chesed love coming from the Lord, this enduring, reliable, consistent, eternal love 
that God has placed on his people. And with him is plentiful redemption. So he is crying out then to God's people to see this, to learn from what he's gone through. When it says, and he will redeem Israel, will redeem, will redeem, imperfect verb, has redeemed, will redeem, will continue to redeem. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we just say everything was finished at the cross, it's done. Yes, it was a finished work of Jesus Christ, but God, the Father, is still redeeming us. He is still saving us. He is still working in our lives. He's still forgiving us. He's still continuing on. Nothing has changed. He's not inactive. He's quite active in our lives. And then he says, when he says, I will redeem Israel, so has redeemed, will redeem, will continue to redeem. The word can also be translated ransom. He has ransomed and paid the price for us. And will continue to do that and provide for us that ransom through Jesus Christ. So yes, so this sense of finished work of Jesus Christ, but we are continually saved through the work, through God, through the work of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we, um, we see these funny words and it's because this salvation is a continuing all the way into eternity. So here's the psalmist testifying of God's grace and favor, speaking how God has abundantly pardoned him and what he has experienced. And he knows that God to his children is is doing the same thing. And so he, he calls out to them and he calls out and says, I know he will redeem you from all your iniquities. Once again, not making light of sin, but um, calling it exactly what it is. So whether it's, you know, whatever we're waiting on, you know, we wait for relief from besetting sins. I think this is what the psalmist is talking about. We wait for answers to prayers. Some of us may pray for years for someone, for something, and we wait and we continue and we sometimes struggle. And when we struggle, we need to be looking out for that enemy within us that's going to to turn us from waiting. We wait bearing an affliction and we are called to wait silently. You know, we wait to see God's grace manifested in our lives. You know, I see this within the psalmist. It's not just, I need forgiveness, but I need you to manifest your grace through my life. I need you to to see that. And that's what happens in the last two verses when he just cries out, O Israel, Holy Spirit is working through him and speaking to Israel, to God's chosen people. We wait for relief, maybe from excruciating pain. We wait for people to be transformed more into Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I can tell you about waiting, don't get frustrated. Don't get upset that things aren't happening because what you'll eventually find when the answer comes is that God was doing all this stuff behind the scenes that you never saw. And sometimes when I read the psalmists, and he says, you've forgotten me, it's like, oh, no, no. He was working. He was preparing you to that point to write the psalm. And we have to know that God is working in and through us, and we have to trust in him. The other thing that I can tell you about waiting is, sometimes God is waiting on you because you're the one who needs to change. 
you need to get a new perspective on what God is doing. It's really easy to pray that so-and-so would get fixed and not worry about me getting fixed. And I'm afraid that oftentimes, you know, what comes to me is, okay, we're going to fix you first. And then so-and-so won't bother you at all because you'll then be more in the image of Jesus Christ. So a couple things I wanted to share with you that I've learned from this psalm might be helpful. One of them, as I said in verse 1, is go to God quickly. When you're in the depth of despair, frustration, whatever, go to God quickly. Don't wait. Don't wait for the problem to be resolved or to feel better about yourself or whatever the case may be. Just go to Him. Acknowledge the depth of your sin, the depth of your despair, your frustration, your worries, and lay it out to Him. You know, Lay it out to Him as Sovereign Lord, as Adonai, to, to deal with those situations. And in that way, you acknowledge that He is sovereign over all these things. You know, some people want to say that all that God is responsible for is the good in life. But I can tell you as a believer, there's so much struggle and pain and sorrow that comes into the life of a Christian that is from the blessed hand of God. And while we're moaning and complaining, what God is doing is He's twisting the rope to make us more like Jesus. The endurance that He requires is typically just beyond what you think you can physically do. Right? But we continue on. Acknowledge that, acknowledge to yourself that the only foundation of mercy is through the finished work of Jesus. It's not you. You can't fix it. You can't solve all the problems. You have to say, it really is you. I know that sometimes for Americans in particular, it sounds like I'm just saying let go and let God. That's not what I'm saying. You are actively working with God, waiting on God so that He receives the glory. Because if you try to fix it and repair your problems, then you'll pat yourself on the back, I did a pretty good job. Versus if it was all just transformed by God and miraculously, here's the answer, something that you hadn't even expected, then you can say, to God be the glory, it's not me. Experience the fear and awe of God because of his forgiveness. Verse 4, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. There's not forgiveness to cause you to sin more. There's forgiveness so that you see him as the source of all power, mercy, grace, and you worship him and you live in awe of God. We use awe far too easily. God is awesome. Nothing else is. Wait enduringly, expectingly, carefully for our Lord to work. So this idea of watchmen have to keep waiting, have to stay uh, observant, you have to be very cautious, careful about what's going on, looking for enemies, Continue it. When you think you can't go further, go further until the Lord has answered your prayer. Study and recount His promises to His children. So my in His Word, I hope. In His Word, I wait, hopefully. In His promises, I have, I have committed myself to those and I will wait. And then what I see within Psalm 30 is, the psalmist also acknowledges God to others. Notice he doesn't go to others and say, woe is me, I'm having a terrible time, God's treating me badly. 
goes privately to God saying, I have all these concerns and cares. Then he comes out of it and he glorifies God and says, what an awesome, righteous God. Um, and his steadfast love endureth forever. He comes out just excited about it. And I think that we sometimes don't do that. We want to share all of our complaints. We don't always share the glory of what God has done. And one final thing okay, um, is in our ABS class, in our Bible study class with Pilgrim's Progress, it's been interesting going through Pilgrim's Progress and Christiana's journey. Um, one more week. One more week of that. But when Pilgrim crossed the river to the Celestial City, so when um, Bunyan, through this allegory, showed Pilgrim dying, he gave us a really good uh, time to talk about death. We had a really great discussion. I was fascinated that people were so willing to talk about dying and dying well. And in our hope as believers to die well, but then sometimes they've seen uh, Christians who didn't die well. And you know, we agree that you can't, you can't obviously you can't judge other people. You can't judge somebody's spiritual condition based upon their death because all different kinds of things are happening, right? I mean, it's just, it's tragic to the people who are there trying to comfort the person, you know, the other person who is actually going through that process in a lot of ways is all alone. You know, I, I'm surrounded by people, but I'm the one that's making the path through the river to the celestial city, if you will. And as I've been looking at this, one of the things I realized was, if I want to die well, I want my testimony to last. If I want people to say, it wasn't a Paul, it was all of God, I have to learn to wait this world. Because if I don't wait with endurance here, with 99% of everything I see, you know, I see everything going on, right? It's that 1% that I'm, I'm waiting on, but I'm still living my life. If suddenly there's only 1% of me left and I'm crossing over the river and I'm uncertain, I better have waited here. I better have waited with endurance because there's a lot of tension in death. Better waited carefully and observantly. Better think about that process. And I think that the more that we go through this tension and stress in life where God is twisting us into the image of Jesus, I kind of think that if I'm twisted into the image of Jesus, I'm going to pass through pretty easily. Because that's now my home. It's not here. But if I'm a straight rotted rope and I look like the world, then I'm going to be really fearful about what's coming because I place my hope here and I my hope to come. You know, so I, I beg people who um, aren't sure of where your hope is that you seek the Lord. That you realize that He is our only hope. But I also tell you, if you're not a believer, Christian life is not easy. It's a life of self-denial. You don't always deny self as well as you should, right? But it's giving over ourselves. It's waiting. It's waiting on Him. It's um, realizing that not everybody is going to be, be want to do what we want to do, you know. And you have to endure. So think about as you're enduring, if you're being shaped in the image of Jesus. Thank you.